0: The US economy tumbles in the first quarter.
1: Is a nasty
0: minus 1.4. Minus 1.4. The question is a recession coming? That a sovereign, independent Ukraine will be around a lot longer than Vladimir Putin's on the scene. The U.S. ups the rhetoric and the pressure on Russia, but Vladimir Putin makes vague threats of nuclear weapons. <laughs> And guns, now the number one killer of children in America. I'm Paul Brandis. You're listening to West Wing Reports from Washington. It's Friday, April 29th. We start with grim news on the U.S. economy. It is reversing. The government says first-quarter growth was a negative 1.4% on an annual basis. That headline clip a minute ago from CNBC's Rick Santelli. What's happening here? Well, in the first part of the year, the pandemic made a comeback, the Omicron virus. But even while caseloads and new lockdowns were underway, the government cut back on pandemic aid, which had pumped billions of dollars into the economy. And of course, Rising interest rates and rising energy prices are also weighing things down. President Biden was asked about this, and as politicians do, he put his own spin on things.
2: Unemployment is the lowest rate since 1970. A record 4.5 million businesses were created last year.
0: Note that the president said that was last year, but this year, Forward-looking indicators like the closely watched University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index show sharp drops from a year ago. Its report says sentiment is, quote, too close to recession lows to be reassuring. But economists always have different opinions. Some call this bad first quarter reading nothing but a blip pointing out that job and wage growth remain strong and that gasoline prices have been slipping for a few weeks now. Despite that disagreement, most economists do agree on some things, notably that Russia's war on Ukraine is a huge global wildcard. The latest on the war now, which is deep into its third month, President Biden says sending military and other aid to Ukraine is not cheap, but it's cheaper than what a broader war would cost if this one spreads. He's asking for $33 billion for more weapons, economic and humanitarian aid.
2: So we need to contribute arms, funding, ammunition,
0: and the economic support to make their
2: courage and sacrifice have purpose so they can continue this fight and do what they're doing. It's critical this funding gets approved and approved as quickly as possible. You know, long before Russia lost, launched its brutal invasion, I, uh, I made clear how the United States would respond, predicted they would invade, and uh, they surely did. We said we'd not send U.S. troops to fight Russian troops in Ukraine, but we would provide robust military assistance and try to unify the Western world against Russia's aggression. I said I would impose powerful sanctions on Russia and that we would destroy and develop, we destroy this myth that somehow they could continue to move without the rest of the world acting, that we deploy additional forces to defend NATO territories, particularly in the east along the Russian and Belarus borders. That's exactly exactly what we said we would do, and we did. But despite the disturbing rhetoric coming out of the Kremlin, the facts are plain for everybody to see. We're not attacking Russia. We're helping Ukraine defend itself against Russian aggression just as Putin chose to launch this brutal invasion, he could make the choice to end this brutal invasion. Russia is the aggressor. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Russia is the aggressor. And the world must
0: and will hold Russia accountable. But the Russians show no signs of backing down. In fact, they've upped the stakes. Moscow has cut off natural gas to Poland and Bulgaria. Germany could be next. Putin can use energy as a weapon to inflict economic damage on the West, but of course he won't get the money he needs to fund his war machine. And the Russians have ominously called the risk of nuclear war quite real. This is sobering, dangerous stuff. In the Financial Times, a serious, sober newspaper, columnist Edward Luce says the world is in its greatest danger since 1962 when the United States and Soviet Union came terrifyingly close to nuclear war. Speaking of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, former President Donald Trump has been saying that if he was president, Putin never would have invaded. That's possibly true, but not in the way that Trump thinks. This is because Putin, who, as you know, helped Trump win in 2016, was hoping for another Trump term, a term in which Trump might have pulled out of NATO, the North Atlantic Military Alliance. From Washington to Europe to Moscow, there are many people who thought that might happen, who thought that Trump might pull the U.S. out of NATO, one of them who thought that was Trump's own national security advisor, John Bolton. He tells the Washington Post that Trump's only interest in Ukraine was what its president, Volodymyr Zelensky, could do for him.
3: I think it went very badly. It was hard to have discussions on geostrategic issues when the president's main interest was getting Donald, uh, was getting Rudy Giuliani in to see Zelensky so they could go find Hillary Clinton's computer server. Uh, And I think that uh, by interjecting Ukraine into the maelstrom of American presidential politics in 2019 and 2020, made it impossible for Zelensky to establish the kind of relationship that he needed uh, with Ukraine's potentially most important supporter. Uh, and I, I don't I don't think uh, it was a dispositive factor in, in the circumstances we have now, but it was it was certainly a, a, a net negative. And, uh, you know, this was a, a policy Donald Trump cared one thing about Ukraine, which was how does it affect his political future? And I can say that every other senior national security advisor, Mike Pompeo, uh, Mark Esper at Defense, Uh, All of us felt that uh, we needed to bolster Ukraine's security uh, and were appalled at what Trump was doing. Uh, And finally, it got resolved in, in, in the near term on the security assistance. But the significant negative consequences for Ukraine, I think, were real.
0: Again, that was Trump's own national security advisor, John Bolton. He was also asked this.
3: One last question. In your memoir, you wrote that uh, the president, president Trump wanted to leave NATO in 2018. How close did that come to reality? And we have just a minute left. Yeah, I had my heart in my throat at that NATO meeting. I didn't know what the president would do. Uh, he called me up to his seat seconds before he gave his speech. And I said, look, go right up to the line, but don't go over it. I, I sat back down, I had no idea what he'd do, I, th- I thought he'd put his foot over it, but at least he didn't withdraw then. In a second Trump term, I think he may well have withdrawn from NATO. And I think Putin was waiting for that. Now because Biden won the election and not Trump, Putin knew that the U.S.
0: would not leave NATO. This played into his decision to invade Ukraine just a year later. So when you hear Trump say the invasion wouldn't have happened on his watch, he may be right, but that's only because Trump would have wrecked NATO by pulling America out. Again, that's what his own national security advisor says. Meantime, another Trump supporter, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, said something this week that you might find interesting. He downplayed the Russian invasion, saying all Putin is doing is attacking countries that used to be part of the Soviet Union. He had this exchange with Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Uh, for probably you a very good reason. You could also argue the countries they've attacked were part of Russia. Well, that... Uh, I, we're part of the Soviet Union. Yes, and I, fir- I firmly disagree with, uh, with, with that proposition. It is the... Fundamental right of these countries to decide their own future and their own destiny. Well, and I'm not saying there's not, but important. I'm saying
2: that the countries that have been attacked, Georgia and Ukraine, were part of the Soviet Union,
0: and, that does not were, and they Russia were part the of right the right Soviet
2: Union since the
0: 1920s. But that does not that does not give Russia the right to attack them on the no, contrary. No one's saying it does, but they were, but it they were really liberated has nothing to from do... being part of this uh, empire by force. When you think about that, then why stop there? Alaska, for example, used to be part of Russia, too, and the Russians in the 19th century held territory all the way down our West Coast, there were settlements in California. Even today, there's a Russian river in California and towns like Sevastopol. Could it be that if you applied Rand Paul's thinking, the Russians would also be justified in trying to take back Alaska again? Sounds crazy, right? But again, Senator Paul, the Kentucky Republican, says all Putin is doing is attacking areas that Moscow used to control. While we're at it, maybe Mexico should try and take back Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, and so forth. After all, Mexico used to control that territory. Speaking of Arizona, the late Senator John McCain called out Rand Paul years ago when Paul echoed the Kremlin line by opposing an expansion of NATO. He has no justification for his objection to having a small nation be part of NATO— it is under assault from the Russians. So I repeat again, the senator from Kentucky is now working for Vladimir Putin. That, of course, the late Senator John McCain. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? Horrible sounds from the February 2018 massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Those Terrifying moments were the last moments, in fact, for 17 people who were murdered that day by a 19-year-old gunman. This, sadly, is now the American way. Guns are now the number one killer of children and teens. That's according to new data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Like I said, this is the American way. This audio was from a Little League baseball game just this week. Nearby gunfire broke out, a couple of gangs apparently, and the video shows terrified players, just kids, running or crawling off the field. Americans like to call the U.S. a unique nation. It sure is. Quick look now at other things in the news this week. Home prices up nearly 20% for the year ended in February. The S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Index, that's a mouthful, says Phoenix, Tampa, and Miami had the strongest gains. The long-term impact of COVID, a British study, says only a quarter of patients hospitalized in Britain, have made a full recovery. Women and people who are obese are also more likely to experience long-term problems. And Tesla and SpaceX, apparently not enough to keep Elon Musk busy. It looks like the world's richest man will now run Twitter. In one fell swoop, Musk has become a media kingpin, gaining control over a platform with global reach, a 21st century Hearst or Murdoch, perhaps. The implications are far-reaching and will likely play out for years to come. Now let's hear about another Evergreen podcast that I know you'll enjoy.
1: I'm Alison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.
0: Time now to open up the West Wing Reports archives and see what made history this week in the past. Did you know that only one person in American history, just one, has been ambassador to Britain and France, a governor, a senator, a secretary of state, a secretary of defense or a secretary of war, and president of the United States? Who is the one person who held all of those jobs Make your guess. I'll tell you in a minute. Also this week in 1789, George Washington was inaugurated in New York, the first president, of course. 1803, the U.S. agreed to buy the Louisiana Territory from France. The seller was Napoleon. The Louisiana Purchase doubled America's size. It's considered the greatest achievement of Thomas Jefferson's presidency. And in 1961, the White House Situation Room began operations. It's actually not one room, but a series of rooms on the lower floor of the West Wing. Now the answer to my trivia question, only one person in American history has been ambassador to Britain and France, a governor, a senator, secretary of state, secretary of defense, or secretary of war, and finally, also President of the United States. Who was the one person who held all of those positions? James Monroe, the fifth president, who was born this week in 1758. One more history? Check out my books on Amazon. I'll sign them for you, too. Just shoot me an email. pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com And need a speaker for your event? I do that, too current events, economics, analysis, history. I connect the dots, and I would love to hear from you. Speaking of books, by the way, I'll send you one if you download my new app. It's called West Wing Reports, available in the Apple and Android stores. Just download it on your phone or tablet. There's a button called What's On Your Mind. All you do is push, talk, and send. That's it. Leave a comment, and your name goes into a drawing for any of my books, your choice i like to end each week with a quote, something you might find thoughtful this week. It's from James Monroe, who I mentioned earlier. He said, quote, there is a price tag on human liberty. That price is the willingness to assume the responsibilities of being free men. Payment of this price is a personal matter with each of us. Think about it. that's all for this week. My email again, pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. West Wing Reports is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, thanks to C-SPAN and The Washington Post for the audio clips. Our producer, sound designer, and engineer, Noah Fouts. Executive producers, Michael DeAloia and Gerardo Orlando. I'm Paul Brandis in Washington. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.